In this episode, we are tackling the Song of the Angels. And I just wanna give you a heads up, this episode has a ratcheted up intensity because what the angels proclaim is astounding, but it also causes us to wrestle at a very deep and profound level. And so that's what we're gonna do in this episode. May we wrestle well as we are navigating this Advent season. Hey friends, welcome to the teaching series. We're so glad that you're listening. This podcast is the audio version of our highly visual video series that you can find on our website, walkingthetext.com or on our YouTube channel at Walking the Text. You know, the Bible can be difficult to understand and that confusion typically happens when we read the Bible without understanding its context. Well, that's why we create resources like this to help you understand the Bible in its original context so that you can learn, love, and live it out every day. Brad Gray is our teacher for this episode today, and we know that with a growing understanding of biblical context, you'll be reading the Bible with greater clarity and confidence than ever before. So with that in mind, let's jump in. We are in the season of Advent, and Advent actually comes from the Latin word Adventus, which means the arrival of something long awaited. And in this episode, we get to tackle the song that all of the other songs thus far in the series have been pointing to, and that is the song of the angels that come at the birth of Jesus. And in Latin, you know this phrase because we sing it a lot during the Christmas season. The song of the angels is known as Gloria in excelsis Deo, which comes from the first part, glory to God in the highest. And this is the song of the angels that they proclaim and sing to the shepherds. Now, as I have been sitting now for weeks in preparation for this teaching, there's been a word in this song that has just bugged me. And it's glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace. And I've been wrestling with this word peace a lot, primarily in my, what I like to call happy place during the Christmas season. Do you have one of these places? One of the places during Christmas where you just sit and think and ponder the Christmas story? Uh, for me, it's in my living room, and it's always early in the morning. I just took this photo this morning. Uh, it's all dark outside. Nobody's stirring in the house. I turn on the lights to the Christmas tree and the mantle and turn on the fireplace and just sit there and ponder the Christmas story. And this word peace I have been wrestling with lately because the angels sing peace, and yet it doesn't really feel a lot like peace right now. In fact, it feels like chaos. Uh, one of my really good friends last week gave birth to her firstborn and it didn't go well. And right now they are in the NICU awaiting results from an MRI to determine if there's brain damage for the amount of time that he was without oxygen during the birth. Uh, recently, my wife and I held our first basketball practice for our youngest son's rec team. And there was a really unique name that was on the roster. And when he showed up, we said, hey, buddy, uh, you're not from around here, are you? And in his accent, he said, no, I just got here from Ukraine. Yeah, not a lot of peace happening in Ukraine right now. 
As someone who has lived in the Middle East and has been to Israel every single year since 2006, it does not feel like peace in Gaza right now. In fact, it is chaos. And you feel this, I feel this, woke up this morning to another shooting. It's like there is chaos all over the place. And it's in these moments though where I feel unsettled by the chaos that I am reminded, oh yeah, like Jesus came in the midst of chaos. That that's a very significant aspect of the Christmas story. And so what I wanna do is I wanna help lay that historical backdrop. You know, these are our lenses of context, the framework that we use at Walking the Text. And in order to understand the text in context, we need to look at it from the various lenses of context. And historical is really significant to the Christmas story. Um, I've shown this graphic in this series in the first episode where we just talk about all of these different nations that Israel was under the boot of. And in the first century, most of us know they're under the weight of Rome. The Roman Empire has taken over the Mediterranean world and beyond, and at the helm is Caesar Augustus. And one of the things that Caesar Augustus was known for, and it was promoted throughout the entire empire, was the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome that Caesar brought to the world. Now, we see this in several different ancient sources, and I wanna share a few with you. Um, Horace, who was a historian, writes this, "'Thine age, O Caesar, has brought back fertile crops to the fields, has wiped away our sins, and revived the ancient virtues. And the fame and majesty of our empire were spread from the sun's bed in the west to the east. As long as Caesar is the guardian of the state, neither civil dissension nor violence shall banish peace. As long as Caesar is ruling and reigning, there is peace on earth. Now, how did the Romans understand peace? Well, it was pretty simple. The idea of peace was you either submit to our rule or we're gonna put you on a cross or some other form of torture in order to get you to kneel to our authority. Uh, in fact, you see this even in the nuministic finds, the coinage that was circulating in the Roman Empire is that you have here on the left, the goddess Pax, the goddess of peace, and on the right, you have Caesar Augustus in military garb. Peace and military might, they go together in the Roman consciousness. Uh, you have Virgil, who wrote the Aeneid, writes this. You, O Roman, remember to rule the nations with might. This will be your genius, to impose the way of peace, to spare the conquered and crush the proud. Welcome to what it means to be Roman or to be governed by the Roman rule. Uh, a Tacitus puts on the lips of a Caledonian soldier speaking about Rome and what they are like. And this is what Tacitus records for us. You have sought in vain to escape the Romans' oppression by obedience and submissiveness. They are the plunderers of the world. If the enemy is rich, they are rapacious. If poor, they lust for dominion. Not east, not west has say to them. They rob, butcher, plunder, and call it empire. And where they make a desolation, they call it peace. Yeah, that's how the Romans talked about peace. That's how peace went forth around the time of Jesus. 
In fact, Caesar Augustus in Rome built an altar of peace called the Arapacus, the altar of peace in Latin. And it was done a few years before Jesus was born is where people went to worship Caesar Augustus and to proclaim, thank you for bringing peace to our world. And then you have Luke chapter two, as he is telling the story of Jesus's birth. Notice how he begins it. In those days, Caesar Augustus. Everybody knows what's going on in the Roman Empire. This is happening within the Roman Empire. And we're told that he issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. Well, what's a census? A census is a gathering of the people to let the Romans know what they have so that the Romans can determine how much taxes are supposed to give in order to do what? Fund the military machine of Rome, the way of peace, and Caesar Augustus had established it as 28 Roman legions that were commissioned for keeping peace in the entire Roman Empire. Now, for many of us, we hear about Caesar Augustus issuing a census, and we go, oh, so Mary and Joseph are going to Bethlehem, they're going to sign their name, this is how much we have, it's kind of a casual experience. Oh, it's so far away from that. Uh, in fact, we've got a, a set of writings from a guy by the name of Lactanius, who was part of the Roman Empire. In fact, he was the mentor to the son of Constantine. And in roughly AD 300, he gives an account of what a typical Roman census was like. Now, yes, we're 300 years after the birth of Jesus, but things changed very slowly in the ancient world. And what Lactanius records for us is how these census takers would gather all of the people up into the marketplace and they would start asking questions. And then when they didn't feel like they were getting all the truth or they wanted to be able to exact more taxes, they would torture the people. They would pit family members against each other. They would create absolute chaos and pain and persecution in order to be able to exact as much tax as possible on behalf of the Roman Empire. It was horrific. In fact, he ends his quote by saying, lamentations rang out among the people. That's what Mary and Joseph are likely going through. Again, Jesus came in the midst of chaos. And Mary and Joseph end up in Bethlehem. They register, the census is underway. She gives birth to Jesus. And then in Bethlehem, we read, that out in the countryside, there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified, no doubt. Right, they're just out there keeping watch over their sheep, and all of a sudden, an angel appears. They are freaking out, and the angel says, first and foremost, do not be afraid and then makes this proclamation, I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. It's interesting because in the Roman Empire, when they talked about the good news of what Caesar was doing, they talked about it in the exact same terminology, euangelion, the good news. And it was only good news if you were on the upper end of power, if you were on the under end of power, this was not good news. And yet the angel says, I bring you good news, not of Caesar, not of Rome, but of Jesus Christ. This is good news that will cause great joy for 
all the people. Why? Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. By the way, Caesar was also called a savior. He is the Messiah, the Lord. Now, many of us know the Christmas story well, so we're like, yes, we know that language and that is bold and that is powerful. But one thing that I think we often neglect is who is actually proclaiming this, right? It's an angel. Now, we have 287 verses in the Bible about angels, and we don't really know a whole lot about angels despite the number of verses that we have. In fact, we only know the names of three angels in Scripture. But here's a passage that is really helpful for us. In Psalm 103, 20 to 21, praise the Lord, you his angels. This is of David, by the way, King David. Praise the Lord, you his angels, for you mighty ones who do his bidding, who obey his word. Praise the Lord, all his heavenly host, you his servants who do his will. So we know that angels are mighty creatures. We know that they are sent to do God's will, to do his bidding. And we know from other passages that they are actually created beings. And so when an angel shows up and says, I've got some news for you, the fact that the angel is bringing this news is astounding because the Apostle Paul tells us in Colossians 1 that through Jesus, everything was created, things in heaven and on earth. The angels were created by the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God, and it's an angel who shows up. And when the angel says, this is who's on his way, they're like, we know him. We have been in the heavenly realms with him. He is coming to you, and this is astounding. Buckle up, we know what he's like and what he's about to do. And then it goes on and the angel says, this will be a sign to you, you will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest because they know what God is like because they operate in the highest. Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill among people. You think Rome's got peace? No, 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 no. Rome doesn't provide lasting peace. The one who is coming is the one who provides peace. Now, when we hear the word peace, we often think of like an absence of conflict or serenity of the inner soul. Uh, and that's true. That's both an external and an internal component. But peace in scripture is much bigger. In fact, the Hebrew word for peace is the word shalom. And it means wholeness, well-being, thriving. Everything is as God intends it to be. And this idea of shalom first shows up at creation. When God creates the four relationships of life, the relationship we have with God, with self, with others, and with creation. And when God created the world, he created it in a state of shalom. Everything was as God intended it to be. But when Adam and Eve took from the tree, sin, death, pain, brokenness, chaos, entered into God's good story. And we see in Genesis, after this, God doesn't just scrap and start over. He says, I'm gonna get it all back. And the whole movement of scripture is about how God is going to get his good world back, how shalom is going to infuse this space and push out the chaos. And chief among the one who was gonna make that a reality was the Messiah. And a passage that we read earlier in the series is one we always read at Christmas. For to us a child is born and to us a son is given, 
and the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, Prince of Shalom. This is the one that Isaiah was prophesying about, that then the angels proclaim to the shepherds, he has arrived. That Jesus is the one who brings peace. And here's the key thing we need to wrap our minds around this season, is that true lasting peace only comes from the Prince of Peace. That for many of us, we probably feel pretty rattled in this season. We see the chaos abounding around us. And so often we think that peace is going to come from some external reality. But friends, listen, the government is not going to fix the problems of our world. Technology, AI, is not going to fix the problems of our world. All of the marketing people during the Christmas season who say, well, if you just get this, then you're going to be doing much better. That's not ultimately gonna solve the problems of our world. And for many of us, we're just like set in this cycle of, well, if I just had this job, or if I just had more money, or if I just had this better health reality, then I would feel a sense of peace. But here's the beautiful thing about who Jesus is and what he is like, is that Jesus provides peace in the midst of chaos. In fact, Jesus is peace in the midst of chaos. I mean, just yesterday I was meeting with a friend and he was just sharing with me without any idea that I was gonna be doing this teaching. And he just said, man, I've just been really struggling with this idea of peace in this season because physically I've been in a really tough place and I've just had to learn that in the midst of my pain that Jesus is where I need to be and with whom I need to be with to feel peace in the midst of the chaos. He said to me, he goes, Brad, we've all heard the analogy. In a hurricane, where's the calmest place? It's right in the center. He said, that's where Jesus is in the midst of chaos. He's in the eye of the storm. He is the peace that sits at the center, even when everything is swirling around. Now, this isn't to say that we aren't supposed to pursue peace. We should pursue peace. There is this external component that after we have been made right with God and we're in right relationship with God, and now God works through us, for our own benefit and healing and wholeness on the inside, but also to extend to other people and to creation. We are called to pursue that. But friends, do not be taken back by the reality that true lasting peace in our world will not become a manifested reality until Jesus comes back again. Now we are called to pursue it, we're called to partner with God, we're, we're supposed to go after the chaos in our world under the authority and direction and power of Jesus Christ in our lives. But whatever we may be going through, we can experience peace right here and right now because the only true lasting peace comes from the Prince of Peace. And Jesus wanted to remind his disciples of this on the night before he would go to a cross. In fact, he said to them, peace I leave you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. And just a couple of hours later, he says to them, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. That as we sit in this season of Advent, where we remember 
that 2,000 years ago Jesus came, he came to be among us. He came to deal with the chaos. He went to a cross and to an empty tomb to defeat the forces of evil. And it will take up full manifestation here on earth when he comes again because there is a second advent that is to come. And until Jesus comes, we are going to have that longing, that ache for things to be made right. But never forget that between the advent we celebrate from 2,000 years ago and the advent that we long for that is to come, we have Emmanuel, God with us. That Jesus said to his disciples, I am with you always to the very end of the age. And when the Prince of Peace is with us, then we can experience peace even in the midst of chaos. So as you settle into your happy place this Christmas season, may it not just be a happy place, but may it more deeply be a place of peace. Friends, may you experience the Prince of Peace this Advent season and that the proclamation of the angels would be true. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill, among people.